There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Nelson's Point in Sydney. You're listening to the all-new Bib Show, Season 6, Episode 4, I think. Uh, it's almost the end of the year. We're almost there. One step at a time. Might be one more show at the end of the year. I've got a good guest cooked up for next week. Don't forget, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. A reminder, all the financial information in this podcast is generally nature. Only speak to a professional advisor about your needs. That is me as well. Coincidentally, I am James Whelan, Investment Manager here at VFS Group. Paul Colgan is back from Davos. He went to the other office. He didn't come to the Milsons Point one. We'll have to catch him next week, maybe next year. Uh, good on you, Paul, if you're listening. This episode is being recorded in Sydney on the 2nd of December 2022 AD. The time is 10.55 in the AM Australian Eastern Daylight Time. My guest today is our first guest that we've ever had from Bloomberg, and that's that's a really big thing because um, getting you guys is is like pulling hen's teeth. and uh, it's it's a really special one because it's going to talk about something that I think that a lot of people have become experts in over the last couple of years, especially with raising raising yields. Now, let me get this straight. So yields go up and bonds go down. I have to say that every single time, the same way that everyone in every article that's ever written has to say it as well. He's their chief rates correspondent with Bloomberg, a 20 years uh, a veteran, if you'll excuse that word, um, with Bloomberg, uh, formerly of some fun stuff, which we might talk about uh, as well. Ladies and gentlemen, my honour to welcome Garfield Reynolds to the BIP show. Garfield, how are you now? Oh, I'm good, thanks, James. Very, thanks a lot for that uh, voluminous introduction. <laughs> I do have a tendency to make it a little bit wordy, don't I? Uh, sorry about that. Um, now, let's get straight into it. Um, thanks for joining us on this one. And look, there is lots of things that have been going on uh, in this market. Funnily enough, that from the time that we started talking about you coming on the show. Oh, also, this is your... External media debut. That's correct. Congratulations. Well done. And and I hope that the BIP show is a good friendly place for you to, to, to get started on this external side of things. To talk about some really easy stuff and maybe some really hard stuff as well. So I want to talk about what's going on lately with the Fed. I want to talk about data points that may not be as as obvious to people. So what are we what, what maybe we should be looking at on the sides that people aren't uh, don't have on the headlines? And maybe some other stuff about your process and how you get to, to, to the decisions that you get to as well. Um, so first off. Since we started organising this podcast, um, a lot has changed. I, th- I think that we can say, would you call this a pivot? Is it official or is this a pivot to pivot? Is it a plan to pivot? Well, more than anything else, it's been a pivot in the market. Yeah, the market has gone, okay, that's it. The peak is in for yields. The Fed is about to go from being nasty and restrictive to being kind and accommodative. That's, that's the pivot that I see taking place so far. What the Fed is doing is a little bit less of a pivot than you know, maybe just a, a slight adjustment. I thought it was extremely interesting. We had very, very strong rallies in bonds and stocks and everything against the US dollar after Powell spoke. And what Powell did was he said, well, it may be time to moderate, i.e. 
we may only go 50 basis points rather than 75 basis points in December, which was what everybody was pricing in they would do. But, and this is the bit where the market stopped listening, but Powell said going forward, we actually think we might have to go higher and more restrictive and keep it there for longer than we had been expecting before. So it sounded like Powell was trying to warn the market, look, just because we slowed down to 50 doesn't mean we stop being restrictive. Yeah. In fact, we might have to be more restrictive than you're all thinking. But the market just heard we might go 50 and went, hallelujah. Yeah, I, I, I'm not 100% committed to a rally at this particular time myself. I think that I think that we need to just have a look at the complacency that there is in the market. And also the next thing that happens, I believe, is that we've got, we're in a bad news is good news situation at the moment. Disaster strikes shortly, I believe, when bad news is bad news. That's potentially the next stage. When when does when does Powell blink? That's the question. Well, and, and the problem is that when he does, that's when the excrement is hitting the air conditioning. Yes, uh, to keep it. Uh, yeah, PG. So, <laughs> yeah, we don't have Ken. We don't have Ken Vexler on the show anymore, so we do, we, do, we don't get the complaints we used to about the swearing. It's okay. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, Powell blinks when US jobless rate goes to four percent, right, or above, uh, or when inflation comes down, you know, under four percent on on a, on a PCE basis. You the the main metric the Fed looks at, that's when Powell is going to blink and say, okay, we can we can stop. You know, it's quite a contrast to the RBA. The RBA looks like it's ready to stop pretty darn soon, yeah. even when we've got some fairly elevated inflation. There are some particular characteristics of the Australian economy that help to explain that. But Powell is frantically worried that he does not want to be remembered as the next Burns. He wants to be remembered as... Volcker. Burns was the Fed, pres- Fed president before Volcker, Volcker yeah. who went up and down and then had to go up and down and up. Powell wants to be sure that when he stops, he's done the business, that he's not going to have to worry about inflation coming back. Yeah. So it's going to take a while before he blinks. And when he does, that's when it's going to get really interesting because if we are going to get, if we get inflation come down without a savage recession, that will be the first time that's happened you know, in a very long time, certainly in the modern world, if we're talking about post-1960s. Yeah, I, I was looking at some some historical data of when the Fed has stopped their, their, their hiking process. What happens to markets after that stage is actually quite devastating. Um, just historically, did you did you have any stats on that? Or did you want to? Uh, I, I, can just, I can just run off a few no, numbers. No, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I haven't looked... Perhaps as precisely as you, as you have, but yeah, of course, the classic was well, the Fed stopped hiking. You know, when at about like mid two thousand eight, so that that ended well. Yeah, um, and even you know, I mean, COVID obscures it a bit, but they stopped hiking and turned to cutting in in twenty the end of twenty eighteen, beginning twenty nineteen. Yeah, I mean, the world economy was going well and truly south at that stage. Yeah, I mean, we had the. <laughs> the bond market looked like it actually anticipated COVID, but what it was doing was it was anticipating that the world economy was going to be in a very bad, bad way. Yeah, yeah. there was there was an inversion on the curve, wasn't there? I remember them. I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been Heinrich Larson, potentially. I'm trying to remember which commentator that was on Macro Voices, a really good mm-hmm. podcast that, that 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 I listened to, saying that the yield curve has once again predicted a recession, 
just there's no absolutely no reason as to how it managed to predict this one out of it, where it came from. Is it? Um, well, but, no, but there was one coming. I mean, you, you think to think in Australia, and and for all that we like to think we're you know a bit isolated and special, Australia is actually a very very open economy. It's very exposed to international trends, and the RBA was forced to turn around and cut rates in 2019 when. That was totally not the plan. Yeah, the plan when Phil Lowe took over from Stevens was Stevens did what they all thought was going to be the last rate cut yeah. and left it for Phil to get hold rates and then start hiking once the economy went back to what they thought it was supposed to go back to, a more normal, robust Australian economy. And instead, it just kept on sagging yeah. because, uh, you know, again, one of the things that's kind of been obscured both by COVID and by Trump, I would argue, is the way that the US-China relationship soured from a win-win, you know, each side thinks they can help the other, to a zero-sum game. That's a massive shift for the entire world. The world's two biggest economies went from working hand-in-hand yeah. Yes, they got a little bit sweaty. Yes, they gripped each other's hands a little bit. Someone's, someone's, someone's hand was a bit bigger in that. Yeah, that, in that's situation. right. Two, yeah. uh, you know, bare knuckles ready. Someone so has to win and someone has to lose. Yeah. yeah, and that's a massive change for the global economy, a massive change for each of those economies. And then along came COVID and wiped everything out anyway. Yeah, and, and, and made everyone even more separated. Um, actually, here's a good question for you. Is globalisation dead? Uh no, it's not. It's not dead, but it is no longer, you know, reigning supreme. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, much the way that uh, you know the efficient markets thesis has, you know, has gone the way you know that that's faded away and, and perhaps died, um, or at least it's in suspended animation until the central banks get out of the way. Yeah, that way. Yeah. Uh, but and and also, you know, if you look. These ideas don't go away. I mean, you actually had Fukuyama declaring the end of history because you know, communism had proven to be you know, a bankrupt ideology was the idea. Well, uh, there's a fellow called Xi Jinping who might want to contest that. That ideology is alive and well in the world's second largest economy. Uh, so it took a step back, but that, but, you know, that basic idea, that contest between... You know, the ideology of free market democracy, however you know, far or close we might be to actually practicing that in what we like to call the West, and you know, a, a contest, a, you know, a different way of doing things, like what Russia does or Turkey, for example, definitely has a different approach to democracy and and to markets. You know, yeah. where you have a president who you know, he's still very much. His ideology is I'm doing this for my people, for the Turkish people, yeah. and I'm going to do things like tell the central bank to cut interest rates despite inflation because I think that's what's going to help the people out. And I'm not going to trust the market. And I'm not necessarily going to trust the people. So it's a different approach. I don't trust any economists either, apparently. No. no. Um, what, um, what, do you have a take on China going forward for the next years? And the, the, the People's Congress is behind us now. My prediction was that COVID zero would be lifted fairly shortly afterwards. I've been wrong about that. It looks like it now is in on the way of being signalled. I still say it's not done until it's done. What's your what's your take on the future of China? Well, so my take on the future of China is that China China's not going to come back to the future as well. It's not going to be the China that everybody remembers from the two thousands, two thousand and tens. 
because the population stopped growing. Mm. Uh, and I think that actually helps to explain a lot of the COVID zero policy. Uh, Fetishisation is kind of the wrong word, but you know, the, the strength of with which the regime has been holding to COVID zero is because they're really, really worried about their population. It stopped growing. It's even starting to potentially decline. That means the growth model has to change. Yeah. That means you want to safeguard your people. They're, a, they're China's main resource and they're a more limited resource going forward than they have been. So with that, I mean, you know, the flip side of it is that they now know that COVID zero can't work not with Omicron coming along. Mm. And Omicron both means you can't use COVID-0 to shut it down, it looks like, you know, because they have not been able to do that. I'm no medical expert, but, like, looking at them on the ground, they're facing an outbreak despite COVID-0. So it makes sense you would move on from it. I think they'll move on fairly slowly. It's not going to be the way we had it in the West, it looks like, or in Australia and Europe and so on, where at some stage you go, okay, we've got the vaccines, we've got the plans in place, we're now dealing with a variant that is very, very infectious, but not particularly lethal. Lethal, yeah, yeah. but it is lethal for some. Let's yeah. not lose sight not of that. Particularly lethal. It's yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, 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 had, we had Dr. Gigi you know, Foster on yeah, the show. Yeah. <laughs> the victory lap of hers was sensational. Very calm. Very calm. Though, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, but so that being the case, yeah. I don't, I don't expect China to do what we did here and just say, okay, that's it, no yeah. more restrictions. Yeah. They will still at times revert to restrictions. They will yeah, help to keep things under control. And one of the things actually that um, you were discussing on that previous program was the idea that here in Australia, governments are quite happy that they've got that dictatorial power yeah. during COVID. Well, <clears throat> you can multiply that by many amounts in, in China. China's instinct is to control people. Yeah. Uh, and they were already setting up a deep surveillance state there. COVID advanced that. They're not going to give up on that. They're not going to give up on control being what they want. So I, I think opening is coming, but I think it's going to be slower than a lot of people think. Yes, yeah, so and a, and a different looking China from anything that we've experienced before. But not, yeah. but not unsurprisingly, it's, no. it's, it's, it's exactly in line of, of, of people's. I hate that exactly in line with people's worst fears for that country. Well, I think it's actually sort of. Second worst fears. Yeah, the worst fear has to be that uh, I think you know that you get total chaos mm. there um, because who knows what what might go on there. I mean, that's one of my fears for for you know what might happen with Russia. Good so, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About that. Um, did you want to talk about Russia? Well, I mean, let's get let's stick with power for the. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Okay. So um, on your note yesterday, you mentioned. The, the Fed's favourite yield curve, what they like to look at. Why is that important? What is it? Um, and run us through. Okay. That, well, up. I mean, this was something that you never know with central bankers because they say one thing and do the other in the end. But... Um, <laughs> like an arrow, right? <laughs> uh, but um, you know, back in March when the classic yield curve, the twos, tens, looked like it was going to invert, yeah. uh, and that's got a pretty good track record of being a predictor of recessions, although comes with a lag. It's not like as soon as it inverts, you go, we're about, we're in recession. It's like we're heading for one. Yeah. So uh, Powell pointed to research by the Fed that showed that if you look at the gap between the current three-month T-bill rate mm-hmm. and where the market expects that T-bill rate to be in a year and a half. Okay. So if that inverts, you know, the Fed uh, research shows that 
means that you are going to have a recession very soon because the market is certain that within 18 months, the Federal Reserve will be cutting interest rates. And the Federal Reserve would only be cutting interest rates if there's a recession. Okay. So it's a little bit circular. I, I was a little bit sceptical of them highlighting that because to some extent it sounds to me like a, a metric that they have a, a lot of influence over yeah, because of their guidance. Because the, the, they can say there's going to be a recession in 18 months, effectively the market would believe them. Yeah, but then again, at the moment, you know, that, that curve is pretty deeply inverted yeah. and power was out there. One of the things that helped stocks in particular rally, it seems, was he was sounding optimistic about what, you know, so-called soft landing, which is no recession. So they still think they can cure inflation without a recession. And part of that's because the jobs market is still pretty damn robust over there. Yeah. Uh, so they're thinking we can do this without a recession. The bond market is saying no chance you're getting a recession. All of the yield curves are deeply inverted, including that power one. Uh, and we even saw what in a lot of ways, and this is the one of the things that I think people lose sight of, um, the real danger on the economic front isn't when the twos, tens inverts. It's when it's inverted deeply and then it starts coming roaring back up. Why is that? Well, because that's when that happens when you get that that pivot. You know, you, so the Fed's, the Fed's done so much that uh, two-year yields start dropping yeah. because the Fed's not going to be hiking rates anymore yeah. and then they drop further and you get you get back to a situation where the 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 central bank is seen as having to prioritize growth over inflation so that means 10-year yields stay where they are or go up yeah. two-year yields come down and you get back from deeply inverted you get back towards zero that usually only happens when well, i looked at it when you are in recession when yeah. something's broken yeah something's yeah. broken yeah Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. That's it. Do you think that that, that power still stands by? I think one of the ones that came out of the big—I mean, there's been there's been a couple of months of, of what I call rug pull rug pull months. The media—I'm not pointing any fingers. Um, the, the media gets us all juiced up, saying that okay, this is it. They're finally going to pivot. We've maybe seen inflation behind us. Let's all let's all put all of our eggs into into a power speech. We all get up in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning to listen to this, and he, he comes out and says we're going to keep on aggressively raising rates. What the hell are you all talking about? Yeah. Um, stop listening to those guys. Listen to me, and then the market gets you know, gets a hit, and we sort of go through the situation that's there. It is last 
chit chat that he had. What was it? Beginning of November. Yeah, it would have been. Um, anyway, in his last chit chat, he, he did have a, sort of this push with, with it's easier for me to fix something that breaks than it is for us to continue perpetuating this nonsense cycle that we're in of, of, of low rates and things keep on going. Do you think he still pushes, he's going to be pushing with that? That's, that, that I think should be his mantra. But Yeah, I, I think he's pretty committed to that. And it's not just him too. I mean, that's one of the things, it can be a little bit difficult for people in Australia to quite get their heads around. You know, you've got this board of Fed governors, um, you know, many of whom are, this board of Fed officials, Many of them are governors or are presidents of particular regional banks, and they actually you know, sort of answer to their you know, to their area. And there's a quasi political role to it that you don't have here, and you don't have, for that matter, you know, with the Bank of England or or, or even the ECB, despite yeah. the fact that they've got you know, um, central bankers from different countries there. But there's a more collegial aspect, whereas a bit more comp- bit more of like you know, competing mouthpieces in the in, in the Fed. So they're, they're all very worried about inflation, about it staying out of control. And I think there is a subtext to there that yet nobody really wants to go back to you know, zero rates and QE uh, because there's an appreciation that there are long-term consequences for that. So there's an argument to be made that the Fed is going to be a lot different to the Fed we're all used to yeah. and that they will keep rates restrictive until they're absolutely sure because they, they want to set up, they're hoping for this soft landing, they're hoping for uh, a scenario where you <clears throat> go back to an economy where like a 3 to 4% 10-year US yield is normal. You know, we, we spent so much time over the last 10, 15 years looking at treasury yields at you know, what, between 1% and 2% and going, this is crazy, this this makes no sense. You would watch it and go, how can you say you're heading for a healthy economy when you've got a yield that is that low? Yeah. So I think there's some appreciation of that in there for central bankers. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see if they can stay the course. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, so let's, speaking of data points, what are there any other sort of around the world things that you would be looking at now to sort of to tell you when? Not, not necessarily that things are broken, but sort of the stuff that people should have on their watch list or, or at least on their radars to, to know where the world is heading, where this, where the economy is coming, where potentially markets are going as well. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm, uh, I pay a lot, lot of te- attention to what's going on in the world of FX and you know, cross-currency moves and so on. Uh, so there are these things called basis swaps, which is how uh, investors can move money between currencies and, and hedge their not only their exchange rate risk but also their interest rate risk. Yep. So when they gap wide or, or narrow, um, that can tell you a lot about what's going on. Um, we had some very extraordinary moves in those around June, around the end of June and the end of September as we came into the end of this year. So there's still a fair bit of apprehension about the end of this year. Those have actually come off a bit lately which may be a good sign or it may be just to people, you know, they were using them around the three month and, yep. and now they're and now they're dangling. Okay. But you know, what's going on in FX forwards, which have also been, you know, very elevated and and how those FX forwards translate into hedging costs. So, 
you know, one of the things that's been going on, Japanese investors have been staying away from a lot of markets that they usually go into. They're really important because they have a lot of money to deploy uh, and they're very willing to deploy it and you know, put it in in bulk in various places. That moves currencies, moves yields. Um, FX hedging costs are still at the point where if a Japanese life insurer wants to buy a treasury, buy a 10-year treasury, they get a negative yield if they hedge it against going to the end. So... <laughs> breaks my head thinking about Yeah, go on. Yeah. Just go on. Yeah. So, so you've got to go through that again. If they want to, if they want to hedge a long treasury position, yep. it has to, it's going to be negative. It's going to be negative. Yeah. Okay. So, so they would only... It so would you can do that. Well, you, you might do it by now if you think that... Because, I mean, these guys play the long game. Mm. So if you think that going forward... Uh, that hedging cost is going to ease away, um, and you are also you're going to get actual capital gains. You're going to get yields come down, so you get the capital gain that can outweigh um, yeah, the, the the that hedging cost. Well, you might start to go to go into that. Um, you might also instead decide to go into Aussie or into or into Europe because of that. So that's yeah, that's that's one thing I, I like to keep. A pretty close eye on. I think the other thing is a little bit under underappreciated um, in part of what's been going on recently is just the optics of what's been happening with with yields for bonds. Those are fat enough now again that in fact, you know, if you worry about a bond sell off, like so, uh, US two year yields I think are still north of four percent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you worry about oh my god, what if they were to sell off the way they sold off this year and the two year yield was to go to six percent? Well, if you sit and hold that for a year, you still made you still made money. You didn't make a lot of money, but you still made money yeah. because the yield offers protection. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that's starting to happen with bonds in general. Part of why they're showing so much resilience, even at a time when central banks are jumping all over the place and there are still some inflation concerns and so on. Uh, and that's actually fed through in the stocks as well because they've looked at it and said, well, bond yields aren't getting much higher um, because people are buying them. So they were all right. You know, tech stocks rally when bond yields fall. Yeah. Um, I never quite got that myself as, it, as a sort of long-term thesis. It's, it's, as long-term, it's all about this forward cash flow um, analysis with the cost of money and things yeah. that the, the goal, which is really difficult to explain to people who, who aren't involved in the industry. It's difficult for me to explain. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the guy who can explain everything. That's sort of what made that my niche. I can't I can't adequately explain um, this to, to, to people. It's just something that just happens. I think that it's also when the stability of the yield comes in that you know it's not going to go much higher. It might go a little bit higher. But yeah. if you can now set it and say, I know what I can now value this company at, or what their what their money is going to be worth going forward. It does mean that you can then invest with more confidence, and that's the idea: is that yeah. is, is that people just go, markets hate uncertainty. If you're uncertain, I can't invest as much into it. Now I'm certain that that yes, that break is going to stay there, but at least I'm certain of it, and that's that's the difference that investors have. That's right. Well, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I mean the other thing I I, I do a lot of looking at uh, overnight index swaps, um, you know, which are um, that's when investors, banks, companies, whatever you've got a fixed rate and you want to solve it for a floating rate or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, and overnight index swaps are indexed to essentially cash rates, so it tells you a lot about where people think cash rates are going to go. And then you can look at, well, where are those relative to 
things like the bank bill right here, you know, which is the, so that's the, yeah, OI, the, the OIS is where's the RBA's rate going to be? Yep. So bank bill, okay, that's the basis of the private sector cost of money. So how are those moving um, or also what's known as floating rate agreements, which are um, similar sorts of things on the banking side, but to do with actual where actual just straight floating rates. So if those get out of whack with OAS, and they are out of whack at the moment, especially for the for the US, uh, they got very elevated indeed. They've come back down a bit, but they're still about where they were sitting in March, which yeah. was just just after you know the Russia invasion and just before the Fed started hiking rates. So that says to me there's a lot of risk in the banking sector that people aren't necessarily taking too much uh, notice of. Mm. And, yeah, but maybe they're right to be complacent about it. Maybe they're not. Yeah, okay. Well, those, those are the data points. Now, speaking on that one, and um, I know that we're, we're pushed for time here, but you're 20 years at Bloomberg, so apart from that. So you, you've mentioned some of the data points that you hit on. I'm always looking to, to, to at my process and my methods and the way that I, I, I do my job and what I'm looking at. So it's one thing to, to have those things that you look at. Do you have a process for coming coming to, together with an idea or a thesis that you'd like to put out for Bloomberg and, and maybe you could just give some sort of an insight into how that is and we can get something up there? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think I think we're extraordinarily fortunate like covering the, the side of the industry I do, you know, rates and effects, that I'm in Sydney because... Um, I mean, you could say you'd be better off in New Zealand, but it's awfully cold and yeah. isolated out there. Yeah, right. But you, you, you get to see the start of the day. So I come in and I say, okay, this is what went on overnight. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, fresh start, especially every Monday, they speak you know, both with FX and with rates. What's going on? You sort of step back a bit because although Treasury futures and Treasuries trade in the Asian day is pretty thin. So you can take a little bit of a longer view, not worry, at least initially, too much about uh, you know, some stops that might be taken out or, you know, is this move? Well, you can sort of look, okay, we had this big move overnight. How much of that was real? How much of it was positioning? Yeah. Part of what went on, I argued, with the post-power move was that you had you had yields are backed up because of corporate bond sales, because you had to sell treasuries to hedge corporate bond flows. Uh, you also have a a very strong short position that hedge funds had taken going into the, the month end. And you had an index role, which meant uh, investors had to add duration in the coming month. And it's very obvious that some had left that to the last moment. So they were piling in. Duration is just a fancy term for buying longer-term bonds. Yeah. Uh, so Thanks, thanks Marty. <laughs> so Marty Wetton, who is the one who, who reminds me of that every single time, yeah. okay. He's yeah. I know he is. Yeah. So. So, um, so, so all of that helped to exacerbate you know, the, the, the move. So you can look at that sort of thing. Right. Um, the other, and I am particularly somebody who likes to look on a sort of, you know, anything from a one to twelve month horizon. You know, where where are we, and sort of where where might we go? So, um, charts are actually an enormous part of you know, like how I construct things. Taking a look at sometimes taking a look at correlations, sometimes just taking a look at patterns or it spreads, you know, is this something that it's the first time we've seen a spread like this? Uh, wasn't me who came across it. was one of my colleagues, actually. I thought it was very interesting. Run a correlation between uh, Treasury 10-year futures and S&P E-minis. You want to run those two because they trade on the same sort of timetable. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, and the correlation between the two 
was the strongest since 2012 and amongst the strongest ever. That's a 60-day percentage change correlation study. Love that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you just go, and it, it's one of those head scratches, like, well, what does it mean? Because something happened once before when it got this high. Yeah. And that was in 2012. Well, 2012, there's one thing that's very similar between 2012 and now, and that is there was one big issue that markets were stressing over. Now it's the Fed pivot. Back then it was, is the euro going to collapse? Oh, yeah. yeah. So you've got that moment. And so everybody's moving. It's like, you know, one way the other. 2012, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So, I mean, and there's only one historical moment when that's happened. What was yeah. it? That was the E-mini futures. With E-mini the futures with the 10-year futures for, for treasuries. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, look at those two because they both trade 23 hours a day. Like if you try doing it um, with, say, US yields and the S&P 500 cash index, so which would be then is the inverse correlation, but US 10-year yields trade about 22 hours a day, the S&P cash only trades eight. Yeah. So then you get and, and you, you get a, a Fred, there's, noise. There's a lot of fresh air. There's a yeah. lot of fresh air when they're, yeah. not, they're not next to each yeah. other. That's, yeah. that's the way to go. That's yeah. very smart. I like that. Um, anything else? So to sort of go through, we've, we've, we've talked about your methods. We've talked about, I had a little checklist of things that I want to do here. Talked about yield curves. Um, one day we will stop talking about yield curves. Oh, uh, come on. We think it's so drunk. <laughs> 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 uh, anything else to add? Otherwise, uh, I'm going to have to close it off. No, no, I, 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 I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, um, Chief Rates Correspondent with Bloomberg, Garfield Reynolds. Uh, cheers. Thanks, James. It's been a pleasure. We're uh, sponsored by, I think I can say it now, we, we, we are and will be sponsored by Global X ETF providers um, going forward. So really happy to have that sponsor on board. I'm going to do a proper ad next time and, uh, and, and I really look forward to working with them as well. Thanks for that. Um, thanks, Dr. Garfield. Have yourself a great day. Cheers. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at the underscore Bip underscore show and we're on Facebook too. Just search for The Bip Show. I've got a website. Just Google Whelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Whelan42 on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.